Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Piller up in Collingwood. And we are kickstarting the week with a bang. It's Craig Button back on the show, now a friend of the show, recurring guest. We get him to cover all of the Sens 2020 draft picks, including some big questions like, is Stutzla center? And what is the true offensive upside of Jake Sanderson? Plus, the Sens in Europe continue to dominate, and they also just added another. We'll get to all that. While on this side of the pond, Dorian locked up another RFA forward. All that and more. This the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Monday, October 19th, and thanks once again to Pierre Dorian dropping news right before we record. It's Rudolf Balsers heading to Norway. Yeah, you got to love that. The content that just keeps on giving. We're about to record and then, boom, some news drops, and I'm stoked about this, Ross. Like, Rudy Balsers, we've been talking about it. Vitalia Bramov has been lighting it up in Finland and had me even thinking maybe he's going to pass Rudolf Balsers for his spot Thank God they finally got that deal done with Rudolph so that now he can finally go over since he signed back to his old club in Norway. Well, imagine watching Abramov in that situation and you're Rudy Balsers. He has been training with the Stavanger Oilers, the team in Norway he's gone to play for since the summer. It's actually his offseason home, funny enough, for the Latvian forward. But now he's finally eligible to play. So unlike Abramov, who had to have that two-week quarantine at the start, Pilsy, we're going to see Balsers in the lineup on Thursday. Yeah, and that's great news for Balsers. And yeah, I don't, I don't blame him for staying there in the offseason. If you got a chance, quickly Google uh, Stavanger, Norway. Beautiful coastal city. I've been in the area, but not in Stavanger. But great spot to live in, especially in the summer. So he's, he's soaking that up. And now he doesn't have to worry about the quarantine. So he's going to get right into the lineup for their next game. And damn, do they need him, Ross. Similar situation to uh, Abram, Abramov. In Jokerit, the team is struggling. They're 1-3 to start the season, not scoring much goals. I see Rudolf Balsers coming in there and making an impact on the top six right away. Descends training camp, and sorry to look too far ahead, but I have to because there's going to be, A, so many competitions in general, but B, that spot, I feel like there's one spot for all of Abramov, Schlappick, and Balsers. So for now, all three of them to be actively playing, they're going to come in with their feet underneath them and ready to rock at camp, all of them on two-way contracts. So they're looking for a bigger paycheck every single couple of weeks. So I'm excited for that, and I'm also excited. Well, we talked about Vitalia Bramov's two-goal performance right before we recorded, but the Sens abroad, well, Sens in Europe, Sens abroad has, has sailed with uh, the forgone former Senators, but... Uh, we forgot to mention Eric Branstrom. How about that snipe in overtime in his first game in the NLA? Yeah, uh, what a move. And that's, see, this is the thing. That's the confidence with Branstrom. If you get him at uh, like evil competition, even, not evil, even competition level, he can shine. Like he'll, he has the confidence to just take that puck in right to the net and just roof it for the OT winner. So that's what we're hoping to see Branstrom elevate his game to at the NHL level. 
So we saw Brandstrom score in overtime to win. We saw a penalty shot in overtime to win by, by Vitaly Abramov, but goalie-friendly show. A couple of them have been in action. All hit with Gustafson, and then you can try to get that name right because we've had so much trouble with the Sens' third-round pick in 2020. But Gus, man, 30 out of 32 on Sunday, 3-2 victory. He's now 2-1-1. One with a 174 and a 937 save percentage, Pilsy. Just what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've we've been clear we're on Team Dak on this podcast, but I haven't given up on Gustafson at team, all yet. Team trade value. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that even. I think it's good to keep him in in the mold here. Like you he was a big part of that trade with uh, Brassard for Pittsburgh. He's still very young. I think he just had some confidence issues, some some mental things he needed to work through. Uh, like you said, giving up goals too early. But now that he's playing at a level he's comfortable at, he's dominating over in Sweden. So I think he's going to come back with a whole new mindset. And we could see, a, you talk about battles for that uh, wing spot in Ottawa. The battle for the crease in Belleville is going to be epic too. Yeah, it really will because Kevin Mandelazy is waiting in the wings. He was one of the best goalies in the CHL, the Quebec League goalie of the year this past season. So you love to add depth at the goalie position, which is what the Sens did in the draft. How is our boy Levi doing? Levi Marilinen. I think, I think I've got it down now. I've read it about a hundred times. I think it's, I can remember it. The double E in Levy is, is too hard. And I know I just said it two different ways there. So I really don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah. We'll just go with L Marilinen if, if we have to, but Hey, you better, you better say his full name when he's performing like this, though. Levi Marilinen stopping 17 of 20 shots in a 7-3 win on Friday for Carpat. And he's, man, maybe the numbers aren't amazing for him, but a 6-1 and record sounds pretty damn good to me. Yeah, I'm just waiting for him to finally get to the Liga on a consistent level. Like, it's cute, but he's playing against under-20 competition. I want to see him take that next step and really kind of solidify his spot at the top level so much time though so not yeah worthy. and i mean he's like goalie number six on the, on the prospect chart here so he's got time to just do what he's doing in the u20 keep those numbers up keep getting wins and take this team far in a playoff run and uh, try to boost his stock here before he comes to north america Final prospect note, Robbie Yarventi's five-game point streak ended on Saturday, 5-3 loss. Lassie Thompson, still no points in six games. He played a season-low 7.52 and was a dash two. However, for the fifth time in six games, he set the hardest shot of the game. And all this information, courtesy of our buddy Henry over at Sens Prospects, now that he is all over the place. like He had to be on top of things before. But now they've got guys playing all over the world. I don't know how he keeps up with all of it, but thank God someone does because that helps us out a lot. So again, shout out Sens Prospects. Hey, Craig Button helps us out a lot too, not only by being a friend of the show, but also with his great content on TSN. And how about his NHL Network get up? This guy, most style out of any analyst in the game. And Pilsy, now that he's a friend of the show, we know there's Twitter trolls out there. We got to have his back more because... Man, he is just a treat to chat with, and we split this one up into two parts. Yeah, every time, well, at the second time now that we've had Craig Button on, so much information, like, we couldn't just do a one, imagine doing a one-parter with Craig Button, that'd be like three questions, like, the answers that he gives are just so detailed, and he has so much, uh, like, background information on all these guys, like, like he says, like, most of his 
prospect profile answers start with, I've been watching this guy since he was 14. Like he knows these guys inside and out. So it's a real treat having him on the show. Well, especially Jake Sanderson, because Jake Sanderson grew up playing Calgary, which of course is where the buttons reside. So uh, he does have that insider information. And I really found his answer interesting and not to give it all away, but just in terms of not points being the, the, what you're looking for with Jake Sanderson, but he still contributes offensively in his own way. So without further ado, I believe we should send it over to our boy, Craig Button. But before we do that, we've got to tell you about Built Bar. Because Built Bar, they're speaking of friends of the show, Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors. Eight are nut-free, but if you want to go nuts, be our guest. Eight chocolate nut flavors. They're all soft, they're all easy to chew, and they're all 100% covered in chocolate. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or gal. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in this delicious treat. Bars are low in calorie, high in protein, low in sugar, high in fiber. But the real question remains, what flavor would you pick with all these options? That's why Brandon Piller, our very own, is here for Pilsy's Pick of the Week. All right, my pick of the week. I'm going to go a little off the board, a little uh, different than I usually do. I, you guys saw I got my mixed box of Built Bars, 18 different flavors, a nice surprise. They give me a bunch of the fruit ones, which normally I wouldn't pick on my own, I'll be honest. But I had the raspberry one the other day. Oh, man. Like, Built Bars got it right. The, the texture and the flavor is subtle. You know how sometimes you can get fruit, chocolate, uh, candy bars, and it's like this weird fake berry flavor and it's just overpowering no this is a nice subtle fruit flavor complimenting with the chocolate and you get all that goodness that built bar provides built bar go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get ten dollars off your first order of built bar that's built bar the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar builtbar.com right now and use promo code locked on that gets you ten dollars off your first order All right, here he is, Craig Button. All right, we now welcome back a very special recurring guest now, Stanley Cup champion, now wears many hats at TSN, including the title of Director of Scouting, Craig Button. Of course, Craig, we had to wait an extra three months for the NHL draft. We saw you do some great coverage of it, both TSN and NHL Network. What was your overall summary from the weekend? Of course, a little different than usual. Yeah, very different than usual. And, and, and really what, what I focused in on was a, a few things. So let's start with the players. The players, you know, it's an exciting day. We've seen what the draft is. The NHL has a draft unlike no other, you know, where players are there. They're, they've got their best outfits. You know, they're so excited about the opportunity to hear their names called. There's a, there's a certain nervousness that goes with it. And, and those moments when their name is called and their family and their friends embrace, and then they go up, they meet the commissioner, they pull on the team jersey. I mean, that's special. I, I don't know what else to tell you. It's special. And, 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 and even into the, in, into the second day of the second through the seventh round, the kids that are there come down to the table, they put on a jersey, they get their picture taken. And uh, so, so they miss that. And, and, and I'm disappointed for the players. You know, I really am disappointed that the players couldn't experience it. And it's not something that you can recreate. It's, but the NHL 
and everybody involved from a technical point of view to be able to, to let the players ha have a unique sense of excitement during this pandemic and, you know, to try to capture it, you know, inside their, their homes or wherever they were uh, able to, uh, to gather and celebrate. I, I thought it was exceptional. You know, those are, those are the things that, and the teams. I think the teams, you know, being able to see their headquarters and seeing how they operated and, you know, everybody complained about the second day. I, I don't know what people's expectations were. I mean, you're dealing with technology. You're dealing with 31 uh, team setups with a league setup with a central scouting setup. I, I thought it was tremendous the way they pulled it off. And I, I really just hope it's the only time we have to do it this way. Amen to that last point. They did do a great job making it special too. I, I mean, in the Sens case, Stutzla had his jersey with his name and the number they expect him to wear. Uh, and of course, Alex Trebek, great touch getting him to make the selection. We saw uh, Doug Wilson Jr. do this um, the sign language for the Aussie Weisblatt selection. That was awesome. But of course, Sens podcast, we're going to focus on Tim Stutzla and the other bounty that Ottawa came out of the draft with. And we know that you're clear Tim Stutzla should play center at the next level. That's what we want as well. Is it too much to expect that he could step into that position on opening night and play in a top six role? I don't know if it's too much to ask. I mean, you ask and, and then you, <laughs> and you see, see if he's ready, right? Like, I, you know, one of the things that I that I think that we, we look at and we, we tend to look at the birth certificate and we know Tim Stutzla has exactly zero NHL games experience. Okay, that's but I don't have a problem with that. You know, he's, he's been an elite player all the way through. I mean, he played left, left wing last year in the DEL. And Ben Smith, as center, you know, quickly realized how good this player is. And, you know, his creativity, his speed, his, his skill. I mean, it, it's outstanding. And, you know, the NHL, you know, the challenges are going to be really significant for any young player coming into the league. But are there going to be growing pains for Tim Stutzla? Yeah, there's going to be growing pains. But at the same time, if he's going to be your centerman, get him playing. Get him into that spot and get him playing. I mean, the Ottawa Senators are not a Stanley Cup contender right now. We're going, we're going to let him grow and we're going to let him, uh, we're going to incubate him a little bit. If you, if you want to be where you think you can be in two years' time, and, and that's as a contender, like you're moving up and you're, you're now serving notice to the Eastern Conference, hey, you better pay attention to us, then you've got to work players developmentally into the roles you expect them to be there. And, and every year you move them out of center is another year that it's going to be harder for him to play center. So, yeah, I get the easing in and you can move them out. But in my view, his best position is going to be as a center. Does that mean he's going to be any less of a player if he plays wing? No, because he's unique as a winger. But I'd put him at center. Yeah, I'm with you, Craig. Like if you drafted him to be an elite number one center, Make him a center. Why are you goofing around having him on the wing and stuff? So we know Stutzla had successful surgery today, which is great news. A six to eight week timeline for him to recover. If he does end up playing in the DEL and you're the Sens GM and you want him to develop as a centerman like we just talked about, is that a conversation you have with the people in uh, Mannheim? Maybe saying, look, we're trying to have him as a center here. Do you think you could keep him in the middle or is that kind of out of your control at that point? Well, no, you absolutely have the conversation if, you know, and, and, and you, you want to, as, as an NHL franchise, you, you want to put your players in the best position to develop, but so does Adler Mannheim want to put a player in the best position to develop because it reflects well on them. So that being said, coming up through the Adler Mannheim system, Tim always played center. So they know how good a center he is. So I, I don't think it's that tough. <laughs> 
uh, of a conversation to have with Adler Mannheim because they've seen him perform at an elite level as a center. You know, as a 17-year-old starting last season in the DEL, you know, it became an opportunity to kind of ease him into it. Ben Smith, Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks, when he started with him, oh, God, I got to break in a young winger. And he said, here, oh, geez, isn't this great? He said he realized very, very quickly that this was going to be something that was going to be a lot of fun for him and for the team. And, you know, I think that's what Tim is able to to impress upon a Stanley Cup champion and Ben Smith and, and others. And no question that Adler Mannheim knows, you know, how good he is. And you, you definitely get the sense that his teammates respect the heck out of him uh, with the celebration at his draft. They all look so thrilled for him. It's awesome. And I couldn't believe he's been living on his own for two years at that age. It just speaks to such maturity, uh, which is something that Jake Sanderson, the fifth overall pick, will continue to develop. One of the younger players in the draft, the July birthday, he's going to North Dakota. We actually spoke to Mike Knubel yesterday, who was the coach uh, for the top prospects game, which some think was one of the best games that a prospect played all season. But what did you see throughout the season from Sanderson that shows that there's unlocked offensive potential? We know that in the back end and in transition, he's got his dad's feet. Uh, that's what Mike Knubel said in terms of his agility. But what shows that there's untapped uh, potential offensively? Here's a couple of things I'll say about Jake. Uh, I've watched Jake since he was a 14-year-old band. I'm playing uh, hockey in Calgary. So, you know, I've had an opportunity to watch Jake for a long time. And, you, you know, he, he, he's developed and progressed in a really nice way. His skating is different than his father's. His dad was speed. Jake has got that uh, ability to, to speed up, slow down, agility, leverage. It's very different as a defenseman than as Jeff as a winger in the National Hockey League. So while Jeff was a superb skater and Jake is a superb skater, Trust me, they're different skaters. So, you know, and that, and so we can't just say skating, excellent skater is, as a left winger is the same as a defenseman. I say this about every young player, I, and I hear it often, and I hear that Jake is such an exceptional skater and such an exceptional player defensively and in transition. He knows where to get the puck. And when it inevitably ends up happening, people start to think that there's more offense there. Perhaps there is. Perhaps there is more offense you know, for Jake Sanderson. I'm not so sure there is, but how do you measure offense? Do you measure it in points? So I'm measuring this in points. All I know is this with Jake. If you want to create offense and you want to be an offensive team, you better not spend a lot of time in your own zone. So Jake Sanderson, let's put one big check mark next to Jake Sanderson. There's not a lot of time spent in your own zone because he understands positioning exceptionally well. His leverage, his agility and being able to get under defenders. He's got a stealth-like quality that Scott Niedermeyer had with their skating. They come underneath you. They get themselves in such great position. And then they take the puck from you. And you don't even realize the puck's gone until they're going the other way. And, and, and that's a, that, that is an outstanding quality that very few defensemen have at any level. And Jake has it. Number two. He, he, he's so confident in his skating, as he should be, that, that he gets up and he gets into your space quickly. And whether that be on the rush, whether that be in the neutral zone, so it's really hard for opponents to be able to, 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 to generate space and to generate that time and to push back a player uh, like Jake Sanderson when he's on the ice. So number two, so, so that doesn't allow, that, that gets you out of your own zone. Number three, he, he's so smart in knowing where the puck has to go. So when he's coming up the ice or he's moving, the puck gets into the right places on the sticks of the right people at exactly the right time. So you're, you're going to be able to create offense 
because of the way he plays. Now, to be able to get a lot of points, you've got to be really good inside the offensive blue line. You know, being able to pass the puck under sticks, through skates, you know, delay with the puck, you know, open up lanes, deception and fakes. Now, I know Jake has an element of that, but I don't see it to the 60-point level. And maybe he does. Maybe it's something that I haven't seen. But when you watch a player for as long as I've watched Jake and you're looking at all those qualities, and now people want to say, you know, I talked to the guys at the NDDP and they said there's a lot more offense there. I said, did you tell those guys not to create offense? Well, no. I said, so how can you tell? You're just telling me it because you want to tell me it. Like, give me a reason for me to believe that there's a lot more offense. Jay Boomeister was an excellent defenseman in the National Hockey League for a long, lot of years. And a lot of people felt that, oh, Jay Boomeister is going to win a Norris Trophy. Based on what? He, he was always an exceptional skater. But do you want Jay Boomeister on your team? Yeah, I want Jay Boomeister on my team. and. I think once Jay settled into being exactly what he was, he was a top-end defenseman. And that's exactly what I think Jake is going to be. You know, if people have said to me, how can you compare him to Josh Morrissey? And I said, how can I compare him to Josh Morrissey? Well, like Jake Sanderson, I've watched Josh play since he was a battle. And the skating, the initiative defensively, the competitiveness, top pair defensemen. I, I don't know if people know how good Josh Morrissey is when they say that somehow comparing Jake Sanderson to Josh Morrissey is not a compliment. Like, I, I will say this. Jake Sanderson is an excellent prospect. And I think that if he can reach the level of Josh Morrissey, you're going to be a damn good player. Yeah, I like a lot of what you said there, Craig. Like a lot of people, they get stuck looking at points, but there's yeah. it's all the it's all the little things that Sanderson does, and I don't think uh, the offensive talent that the Sens have here are going to have any trouble putting up points once Sanderson <laughs> transitions and gets the puck to them. So that's always good news. Now, Craig, I want to get your opinion can, on this. Can I as, just ask you one oh, question, Brandon? Yeah, right away. Ottawa Senators fans had a great opportunity to watch Eric Carlson. Like Eric Carlson is a brilliant offensive defenseman. Okay, so just try to think about how Eric Carlson created offense with deception, with fakes, and being able to thread the needle with the puck. That's what you have to be able to do in the offensive zone to put up big points. I haven't seen it from Jake. Simple as that. Yeah, and that's fair. And I mean, I, I would say that the Senators don't need Jake to do that because they've got a guy who can do it in Thomas Shabbat, right? Hope, so Hoping for Brandstrom, too. Exactly. So that's that's not a void that Sanderson needs to fill. He's going to do what he does well in the transition game, like you said. I want to get your opinion, Craig, as someone who's been involved in NHL drafts and has a lot of experience and knowledge about it. In the recent drafts, the Sens have been very consistent in drafting a few players that are either teammates or have been friends for a while. You touched on Jake Sanderson. Him and uh, Ridley Gregg have been childhood friends. Their fathers knew each other. Sanderson and Clevins are going to be roommates. Batherson and Sokolov were billet brothers. The, the list goes on. Norris and Brady Kachuk are best friends. So there's obviously no analytic or kind of proof that you can support this. But in your opinion, how much of a factor is that, that you get guys that already know each other, they're already friends, they're already building chemistry, and they're going to continue to uh, build chemistry as they develop together? 
Well, the North Dakota uh, hockey program is, is now a farm team for the Ottawa Senators. They, they have Jake Sanderson, Jacob Bernard Docker, and Shane Pinto. Johnny Tyconic, who they drafted, has left uh, North Dakota. So, you know, you think about three th- three players that I have no doubt will, will be NHL players. Tyler Clevin as well. Yeah, oh, Tyler, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, Tyler going there too. Sorry. Would have been their to- entire top four on the back end if yeah. uh, Tyconic was still yeah. there. Exactly. So, so you think about that. And I mean, the biggest thing you're doing when you're evaluating prospects, uh, Brandon, is you're looking at what their, what their potential is, what their attributes are. I, I, I think the fact that they know each other and, you know, they're competing with one another, it helps the assimilation into a team. There becomes a comfort level, you know, that competitive spirit. We're going to push each other. I think that that helps. I mean, those are what I would call the bonuses of looking at players like that and certainly you know you think about Igor Soklov and I I I love Igor I like watching what Igor has done in three years and going through a draft going to the world junior and and I mean just like he he might be able to play next year because he's 20 years old and I love for him to be able to to turn to to Drake and say hey Drake you know what what can I expect or Drake to say, hey, listen, Eager, you're going to go to Belleville. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I had to go do that. So to be able to have those relationships, it's not why you're drafting a player, but it helps having those relationships in other areas of development, in other areas of understanding. And certainly when you're trying to assimilate players, when they can turn to other players that have had the opportunity uh, to, to be a part of the organization in different ways, I think it's real beneficial, but you're, you're still drafting on attributes and, 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 and on the potential, and then you go from there. Relationships and bloodline too, clearly. I, I was doing some digging, some serious research, Craig, and Sen's organization has players whose dads have combined for over 4,000 NHL games when you put Will Lannan and Jeff Brown in there as well. But one of those other players is Mark Gregg and his son Ridley. You said he's just the biggest pain in the ass to play against. Usually when you draft a player in the first round, they're automatically in your top five prospects. Does Ridley get into that category with the Norrises and Bathersons? Or is Ottawa's prospect that deep that he's still beyond that? He is behind that. And, you know, we put him in the top 10. You know what? There there could be some question about, like, does Logan Brown, we drop Logan. And I think Logan has a really good chance to play in the NHL. I mean, he has shoulder surgery. Is he healthy enough now to just go and play his game? Is he has he reached that point at 22 years of age where, hey, listen, I, I know what I am and I'm going to go and play? And like I think that he can. And you know, ho- hopefully the health and everything that goes with it allows him to do that. You know, but I, I believe we had without having it in front of me, I believe we put Ridley in at 10. I think that along with Ridley Gregg at 10 and and Logan Brown and and even Will Lannon, who we eliminated from the prospect right now, maybe we shouldn't have. But he, let's keep Will Landon out of it. But I think the 11 players with Logan Brown there are all NHL players. There's no prospect list. There's no prospect list in the NHL. And I'm talking about deeper, quality-wise, better than the Ottawa Senators. Not. Shout out once again to friend of the show, Craig Button, for joining us. Part two will be tomorrow, and you heard the excitement he has of the depth of quality in the prospect pool. We dive into Yarventi and the Sens off-season moves, and then he roasts me for being a terrible goalie. All that coming up tomorrow, but Pilsy, the Sens continued their free agent signing a day with J.C. Bodin. 
Yep, and uh, good good thing to get them locked up. I think this is pretty much what everyone expected, just a, a one-year, two-way deal, 700K. But he does get a little bump in the minors, eight, 80K in the minors as opposed to 70K. So that's nice for JC. And look, I think JC Bodan's a fine player. Like he, he played some time in the NHL. I think we can all be honest with ourselves, and he mostly got those 22 games at the start of last season because the Sens didn't want to bring anyone else up. And he only had one assist in that time. So fought, he's a, uh, fought Tony D'Angelo, though. A lot of people oh, love to see that. Yeah, true. I actually forgot about that. Good for JC. That's uh, sticking up for yourself there. But uh, yeah, like he, he did all right in Belleville when he went back down. Six points in 13 games. Had some injury trouble, though. I think this is a guy he's he's not really going to blossom into a full-time NHLer. I think he's going to be more of a supporting player in Belleville with their top nine. Yeah, well, I was going to say, not only are we the daily home for Ottawa Senators content, but Pilsy and I working for Belleville. Like, I see him as a top six guy in Belleville. He can play up and down a lineup there. Great on faceoffs, PK1 guy. Wouldn't put him on the power play, but he is a guy that can fill an NHL role if you have to. I would call him, yeah, sub-replacement NHL player if injuries are the case. But I found this note really interesting from Tyler Ray at Defense Minister and funny enough had our backs on this conversation because – he noted that he was the most likely to sign yesterday because 5 p.m. was when qualifying offers expired. So they still kept their rights, but those qualifying offers were expired. So Bode, the Sens player with the least amount of no negotiating leverage, therefore the most likely to simply accept their offer. However, his AHL salary is higher than before. So he traded off the NHL amount for AHL money so that they could use that as deadline, the, the deadline as leverage to make him sign that contract. So he gets a little bit more in the league that he's planning on playing in, but then Ottawa saves a little bit on the cap hit. So I think that kind of works out for everybody. Yeah, yeah, solid deal. And kind of funny thing about J.C. Bodan, too. We got him from uh, Colorado in the Max McCormick oh, yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, that seems like forever ago, eh? Uh, that was a nice little move by Dorian, though, because Bodan was only like 21 years old at the time, so lots of time to grow. But he was a part of the Colorado Eagles ECHL team, and they went all the way to win the Kelly Cup, and then they got boosted to the AHL the year after. So he got to go with the Colorado Eagles ECHL, and then that team got promoted to the AHL, and then he spent a little bit of time there as well before he got traded. So this guy, he's got championship caliber. you got to love seeing that. Yeah, you definitely do. Great little spin zone there. I love it. Safe to say J.C. Bodin won't be a part of any training camp battles for an NHL roster spot, but it is nice to see the team fill out with depth. Speaking of depth, part two for Craig Button tomorrow. Tony Ferrari coming up later in the week, and we may have a very special guest as a goalie-friendly show. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.